All right, welcome to the July 2020 Surge Holding Shareholder Update Call. Before we begin, I want you to listen to this legal disclaimer for the call. Now, of course, you can find this legal disclaimer by visiting any press release or financial filing using the ticker symbol S-U-R-G. This call may contain information that constitutes forward-looking statements made pursuant to the safe harbor provisions of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Forward-looking terminology such as believes, expects, may, will, should, anticipates, plans, or similar expressions, or the negative of these terms and similar expressions are intended to identify forward-looking statements. Any such forward-looking statements involve risk and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from any future results described by the forward-looking statements. Risk factors that could contribute to such differences include those matters more fully disclosed in the company's reports filed with the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission. The forward-looking information provided here in this call represents the company's estimates as of the date of this call, and subsequent events and developments may cause the company's estimates to change. The company specifically disclaims any obligation to update the forward-looking information in the future. Therefore, this forward-looking information should not be relied upon as representing the company's estimates or its future financial performance as of any date subsequent to the date of this call. Now with that, I'd like to welcome the Chief Executive Officer of Surge Holdings Incorporated, Brian Cox. Brian, welcome and thank you for calling in and taking the time to address these questions from your shareholders. Hey, Stuart. Good to hear from you again and glad to be back on and looking forward to uh, taking your questions and uh, you know moving on forward. Very good. Well, let's jump right into those questions. 2019 was the build year, and it looked like Surge turned the corner in March. How much did COVID affect the business, and what adjustments did you have to make? Stuart, that's a good question. I get that a lot. To answer that question, I think I need to break it up by divisions of the company because it impacted a couple of subsidiaries differently. If you look at our company, we've got the media division, the fintech division and the telecommunications division. On the media division, the remember the goal of that company is to develop leads and qualify the leads for mass tort lawsuits. Now, hedge funds normally finance these law firms, these huge firms, and they go out and do these marketing campaigns to bring in these leads, and then they take their actual cases, such as with Roundup and some of the other pharmaceutical companies that uh, you see on TV, some of these late-night commercials. Well, the hedge funds kind of cinched up the purse a little bit in the second quarter because, like us and everybody in the United States, I guess in the world, we're all watching our TV wondering what's going on. And, you know, we, we kind of, hey, the main thing is the people we care about and our families. So um, the cool thing about that was, though, all of these guys were used to rolling, making money, and they were in a good groove. So during that time they were sitting on their hands, it just created more of a, a bent up desire to catch back up when things loosened up, which now things are loosening up. And, uh, you know, so there, there was a period in the second quarter on the media company where obviously the sales went down because also, um, you know, our, our ability to reach people dropped off a little bit because it, it wasn't funded by the hedge funds and we're not going to drive leads for free. Uh, the good news is we expect that monthly to get back quickly. 
Uh, we're already seeing a drastic increase in sales, and we look to have that back above the $3 million a month uh, where the media company was before COVID hit here probably in the next 45, 60 days. On the fintech and communicate, uh, excuse me, the telecom side, I'll group those together because those are really interlocked. Those are the, the products that uh, serve the underbanked, uh, underserved, overlooked market that we've talked you've heard me talk about many times before. These were um, essential products. As far as the existing customers and existing stores, we didn't see a big change. The, the impact on us was our salespeople. The human contact, you know, our salespeople, you go out, you pull doors, you interact with folks. Uh, you know, there's got to be that to add more stores, to upsell more products. It's very difficult to be a sales guy over the phone when you're dealing with corner stores or bodegas or high-traffic markets because these people are not sitting behind a desk answering phone calls. They've got customers in front of them. It just doesn't work that way. You've got to be able to go call on those doors. There's two sides to this coin. We didn't grow the base a lot. We didn't add a lot of stores during the second quarter. But these salespeople, these independent salespeople, they get paid by what they produce. So just like the hedge funds, they've been sitting on their hands, growing restless, and now that they're back out there, we're seeing stores being added daily because they're trying to catch back up to achieve their same level of income they had in their minds that they wanted to conquer for 2020. So I, I, if I had to look at it from a crystal ball, I'd say the second quarter took a hit, just like almost everybody out there. But we fully expect to rebound back and, and don't, don't think that I'm not putting out incentives and promotions out there, especially for the salespeople on the fintech and telecom side, to bounce back quickly from that. All right. Well, Surge Logic seems to be very profitable as a subsidiary, but it doesn't have to do with the core business of Surge and the underbanked. What is this company and how does it fit into the big picture? The media subsidiary, we always got to remember that was the legacy company. When we merged in the software and telecommunications companies and then changed the name from K6 to Surge. Our original thoughts were debating whether to just sell off that subsidiary. It was doing about 125000 a month. We weren't quite sure what to do. We jumped in and we analyzed and we saw an opportunity. The opportunity was using the resources that we already had, both stateside and down at our operations center uh, at Centercom. And by taking the software development team and creating our own software intake platform, and our ability to now manage our own leads on our own platform and then take uh, hiring uh, almost 40 people at Centercom to qualify these leads and give these mass tort uh, law firms better, more qualified, you know, the, 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 a bundle of leads, so to speak. Uh, it, it, it jacked the, the revenue up from that 125000 to $3 million a month. So... Yes, it doesn't have anything to do with the underbank. Right now, we oper operate it as a siloed subsidiary, really, you know, Surge Holdings. It's a true holding company. Um, we debate this all the time. Right now, it's spitting off profit to the, the holdings company. It's helping fund our other operations. I do believe down the, the, down the road, there'll be a moment where there'll be a spinoff opportunity that would make a whole lot of sense for Surge uh, Logic, especially with it being in the media division and it being a premier one of the top lead-generating companies for mass tort law firms uh, on the Internet in the country. I do think that that's a possibility, but right now we're going to keep juicing it and putting money behind it and see how much money we can make and, and help fund the, the growth of the uh, fintech and telecom side.
Brian, I'm remiss at not saying this at the outset of our phone call, but I do want to make shareholders aware that we did get all of your questions. Many of you may have sent in questions that were similar or just nuanced, slightly different. So if you don't hear your question asked today, please feel free to continue to email your questions to myself and the company. My uh, information is available in this press release. But with that being said, let's move on to the announcements. There's been a few announcements about loco rabbit can you explain the business and how it fits into the big picture for surge sure i tell you Stuart, it's hard for me not to smile when you start talking about loco rabbit this is uh this one that's it's, it's special for me and i i'm excited about uh i get to return to my roots a little bit i get to roll up my sleeves and be involved this is kind of how i made my way uh starting a a, a prepaid wireless company from zero and then growing it the, the really cool thing is it's like anything else. Once you've already conquered something before, that second time is, is, is always so much easier because you have a cheat sheet. When we acquired ECS, which for those who don't know, ECS is a company that um, uh, has thousands and thousands of, of corner stores on its network, and it provides the ability for those stores to do prepaid wireless transactions for every carrier out there. So it does about 20,000 transactions a day. When we acquired that, and now I had the ability uh, to look at these analytics, to see what other companies were doing, to see not what they're selling, but what are people buying? What are they actually paying for? What do customers want? What do they desire? Where's the, where are the needs? And then also, where's the low-lying fruit? Uh, there's no reason to go head-to-head with a billion-dollar company. What are the other products out there where we can sneak in and get market share just by being smart? So the ECS acquisition allowed us to kind of rejigger a few things and push this wireless, prepay wireless brand, our own brand out there. And we use it in two different ways. Obviously, we're adding it to the ECS stores and, um, you know, other stores that we already had on surge pays. But really, it's a tip of the spear product that we, our salespeople can go in and offer uh, to that convenience store owner, that chain, that large distribution company. They may be selling all kinds of products to our, uh, you know, to uh, convenience stores, bodegas, tiendas, um, all these community markets. It's a real product, and because we own the entire part of the food chain, we own the wireless side of it, we own the transaction side of it, from the software all the way to the handset. We're able to pay the store owner just a little bit more to take the payment, a little bit more to make the sale. We're able to pay the salesperson just a little bit more to make the sale and still hit our numbers. So this is going to be a really cool product for us. Uh, as a matter of fact, I just saw this morning where we've got a PO that just went across to a company bringing in some brand-new basic phones that will be able to retail at a store, hang on a peg cook, retail for $39.99 where the customer can literally just buy the, buy the basic phone, walk out, and use it to talk. Uh, also got a 5-inch Android that they'll be able to same thing. It's already activated. They'll be able to walk right out and use it right away. So there's some really cool things, and I think that sometimes, especially our shareholders, if you've got money to invest in a stock, the chances are you're banked, I mean, just by rule. So a lot of people don't realize that there's 100 million prepaid wireless customers out there, 100 million in the United States. And this is these are the types of products that, uh, that they buy. And if we have a local rabbit prepaid wireless product, and it's a, it's a competitive product, for example, unlimited talk, unlimited text, Three gigs of data for 35 bucks, even out the door. Not all the taxes and extra, just even. That's it. 
it's a great product and it helps people out. It's a value-based product that uh, it drives customers, it drives retention, and uh, you know, it's a very, very profitable product for us. Well, very good. Let's jump on to the next question. Please give us an update on the rollout of the store in the Surge Marketplace. What is the pace of Surge Pays and products being integrated into stores, and how does this work with the ECS platform? Don't those do similar functions? Yes, they do, and this is a very astute question. Once we, like I said, we acquired ECS, we, we looked in, looked under the hood, so to speak, we made the decision to combine these two softwares. Now, that's, that's a CEO-level question, a statement that's not, you obviously don't combine softwares, but you, you merge the best of each thing together. So while one may have had a great web interface for the stores that have computers and Internet, which we find a lot more out west, in the west coast and the western areas, region, the, a lot of the stores in the southeast and the midwest have reprogrammed credit card terminals that sit on the countertop that do all the transactions for the prepaid loads and top-ups and what have you. So for the last six months, we've had the developers on both sides merging the best of those two, and this is going to be rebranded into the ECS marketplace. We want to use the ECS brand that's been around for years and years and years, done over $600 million in business. It's a known name. Uh, the, The folks over there have done a great job building that brand name over 10 years. We want to use that brand, merge it together, and let that be the forward-facing fintech software platform that we take our products out to market on. So uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the even the front-facing website is going to be in, unveiled next week. And, uh, you know, this did get pushed back. You asked about the COVID. Obviously got pushed back a little bit. But these are the things that we want our sales guys going out there and bringing this to the, the new stores, expanding our network, and then going back to their existing same stores and upselling them other products that we have to offer. All right, very good. Let's stick with ECS. With the ECS acquisition, Surge got thousands of stores and sales reps. What is the current priority in adding more stores or increasing sales per store? You know, that's an age-old sales management question, and I'll answer that in two parts. We're always, I mean, my, my first answer is I was going to say both. I'm, I'm a conqueror, man. I want to kick the wall down and go. Uh, I think we can do both. I think that it depends on the market and depends on the salesperson. And I'll explain. If we're bringing on new salespeople, bringing them in and training them, obviously they don't have existing, an existing store base. So they're starting from scratch. They're starting from zero. That, that's, that's bringing on stores, and you usually lead with one or two products. You get them on, get them trained, and then you come back. You build a rapport, build a relationship. You go back in, put a few posters up, put some stickers out on the gas pumps, you know, shake their hand, buy a, an energy drink or a water, and you do business with them and go on down the road. Well, if I'm a gentleman, for, take for example, let's say I'm in Nashville and I've got 300 stores, that's about the capacity that one person can cover on a month or, you know, every 60-day basis. So my goal as a salesperson is not necessarily going to be to bring on new stores, my goal is going to see how I can squeeze more juice out of the stores I've got. So I go back and I see, you know, say hello to everybody that I know and have done business with for years, and I go and show them other products, ask them to trust me, and put them on the shelf. So I think it's by region and by salesperson, but from a, um, let's say from a C-level at Surge, we're absolutely doing both. And, you know, even outside of ECS, and keep in mind now, ECS is doing 20,000 transactions a day. 
outside of that, we're taking these transactions and even by region, knowing what products sell better per region, because the same thing that sells in Memphis is not going to be the same thing that may sell in L.A. or New York City. So, And I'll give you an even better example. With us having a bilingual operations center, uh, products that sell in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas are not the same that are going to sell in northern Ohio. It's just different and regional, so we can target and provide our salespeople with the best tools possible to go out and not only, because keep in mind now, it's not just bringing on the store. Signing up the store is great, but all you did is board a store. We want customers to be able to buy products. We want to we activate local rabbit phones. We want to do top-ups for all the other guys out there, Track Phone Boost, Metro PCS, uh, and then we want to sell other products to the stores. But if the customer doesn't buy the product from the store, the store doesn't buy it from us. So, you know, there's definitely a food chain there. But the, like I said, the, the easy political answer would be say both. But hopefully I've provided you with the, kind of the, the background of how that works. You, you do go at it two-pronged. Uh, there's a, it's a one-two punch, chicken and the egg. All right, very good. Here's the next question. Does Surge plan to have any of its own products to sell into the marketplace other than wireless? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think you need both. Uh, there'd be no different than Walmart or any other retailer. I think you need both. You need the brand name products out there that uh, that enable you to get stores on your network. I mean, obviously, you know, people walking through the, the corner store, the convenience store, the gas station, they're, they're going to have Boost. They're going to have Track Phone. They're going to have all the big boys. Uh, so you got to be able to provide those products. you got to be able to provide other, uh, you know, various products out there, uh, anything from bagged snacks to um, – Oh, gosh, we're seeing candy, all types of other products. And then more recently, the masks, hand sanitizer, and, you know, the, these products that are, are becoming hot products because of the day and age we live in. I think that from a strategic standpoint, you know, we don't, we don't chase the white elephant or, you know, hunt for whales. I think the opportunities come up as you're doing business when you find these sweet spots I talked about before, the low-lying fruit, or you come across a – a company that may be a regional manufacturer that either wants out or has hit a plateau or run across hard times, and there's an opportunity for an acquisition. But Local Rabbit is a great example of our own brand that we control top to bottom, that we can roll out, that we can leverage. And I want to use that word very carefully, leverage. If there are products that we can leverage to increase market share, to entice stores to come on, because we're the exclusive provider of that. That's also why we've got a couple of CBD products that are in development right now. We're approaching that very methodical because of the glut of CD products that hit the market. We're seeing what actually sells. What, what do customers come back and buy? What works? Uh, we've got a couple that we really like that we look, to, look forward to rolling out in the third quarter, but it's going to be methodical products we make money on. We're not going to chase our tail and do things that are outside the realm of what we know. So I think as the product makes sense and we can leverage it to make more money, then absolutely we'll add more products uh, that, uh, that we own. And I do think that, you know, everything has a, a stage, uh, life stages. And I think once we get that store count up in the 50, 60, 80, 90,000, you also encounter a lot more opportunities as you're out there hustling in the market. And I, I think that'll enable us to find some of these maybe hidden gem companies that just don't have distribution where we can either partner or acquire them. 
Well, let's change gears a little bit with this next question. What is the plan to move the company to the NASDAQ stock market? And will your plan require stock dilution and or a reverse split? Follow-up questions to that are what are hurdles or what hurdles are left before surge before it can be listed on NASDAQ and is there any timeline in place? Yeah, we did change uh, change pace here a little bit. Um, <laughs> hey, that's fine. That's just, this is like my life, back-to-back calls where you're jumping from one thing to another. So uh, no problem at all. Uh, and I, I'm going to do my best to, to work through these questions. That was quite a few questions there. Um, obviously, Stuart, we did this whole thing to get to NASDAQ. To get to a major exchange, uh, being on the OTC was never the goal of doing this. It, it, it didn't, you know, this is an area where we put our team together, we we learn the ropes. Um, you know, I've used the phrase before: we learn how to hit a curveball in, in Double A, and, and then when we're ready to go to the majors, we go. So to, to dive right in, look, I've had investor investment banker term sheets on my desk for two years. We could have pulled the trigger sooner if we want to. We made a board decision to go when we could kick the, the saloon doors open and make the biggest impact at the right time. Now, bluntly, I'm not going to take credit for knowing that the day and age we're living in right now, there would be so much focus on the underserved and the underbanked. But I would propose that the timing now compared to the products and services we offer being presented a year ago to the, let's just call it the, the, the stock market world, I think the timing is absolutely phenomenal. There's an awareness on every channel on TV of the folks that are, um, you know, that that, that lower 35% of the income bracket out there now. Uh, It's it's all over the place. You can't avoid it. So you have a fintech company that can come along that provides valuable products that these customers need, and it provides products to these community markets that are the economic heartbeat of all of these neighborhoods, whether they be Hispanic, black, or white, it doesn't matter. They're all the same. They've all got these corner stores, community markets, bodegas, tiendas, mercados. They all depend on it. They go. They don't. They don't drive to Walmart, drive to the mall, and drive all over town. They go to these. They go to these places and get their their needs taken care of. You got a company that comes in that can not only provide this distribution platform to provide these stores with these products, but they also own. Uh, their own wireless company that's, that's, uh, that, that's popping at the seams and growing, and they have the, the ability to, I mean, when you ask me, you know, what, what, what can you grow to? Well, I mean, geez, I mean, you got uh, a million of these stores out there. They're on every corner, and there's thousands of products per store. I don't see that there is a, a, a cap that we could hit. So that's our story now. We had, we had the $15 million in revenue. When I first started getting these sheets on my desk, that these folks that were courting us to take us to NASDAQ, now we're over 55 million. I mean, we're in a different category. So I, I do think we made the right choice. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, you know, I believe the question asked, what, what, what is our outlook? What, what are my thoughts? Blowing my thoughts, I want to go as fast as possible. Uh, my next call after you, Stuart, is with our, our firm that we hired uh, in New York City to get us there. I mean, we're fully engaged. Lukowski Brookman, look them up. That's what they do for a living. Uh, you know, most of our paperwork is done. Uh, we've already engaged NASDAQ. We have a, a gentleman there who is working through our application. The, as far as their, the, the criteria for what we need, we need a couple of more independent board members that we'll bring on at the right time. 
right before we uh, before we uplift. And then from a shareholder's equity standpoint, there would be a raise at the time of uplift. That's where the investment bankers come in. And we thought there's a question about dilution. Obviously, to minimize dilution, you take care of as much debt as you can through, uh, you know, whatever you can do before that raise on the uplift, in my opinion. And then you minimize the money you need before NASDAQ. And if you, you know, growth money, merger acquisition money is after NASDAQ. Once it's, uh, once it's, uh, it's a lot different uh, access to capital at that point. So I believe you'd ask the question about the dilution. Look, every, every decision we make, our, the people on our board and the, the guys that actually run our company on a day-to-day basis, they're the largest shareholders in the company. And I assure you, I know all of them personally. They're, they're, they're folks of means, and they did this ultimately for the stock uh, value. They did it for the big-picture play. This is not something they're doing just cashing a paycheck, which I think is unique right now with a lot of the companies out there, the way that we approach this. I mean, there's not just some money guy that backed a couple of dudes to come in and, you know, uh, run a company. We, we started this and built it from the ground up with the intention of doing this. So everything that we do is going to be methodical and surgical in an attempt to minimize the dilution, which is also why when we do acquisitions, the diligence that goes into that, you know, look, every time you raise a dime or, you, you know, you, you issue stock, obviously there's dilution. But the goal is to outrun that dilution by the value you bring. If you, uh, you know, if you issue a couple million shares to acquire a company, how much money is that company going to make your overall holding company? And does the value of your overall consolidated company outrun the cost of issuing those shares? You know, don't think for a minute that these are not things we talk about on a daily and nightly basis. These are things we all factor in. And you know, to to kind of get to the point. We're going to do what we have to do to get there. We're going to try to maximize shareholder value at every step of the way. And um, hey, I'll say from my perspective, I mean, people that have followed me for a while have heard me say, look, right now I'm the largest shareholder. Why in the world would I ever make a decision that would affect me, my family, the people I care about in a negative financial manner? It doesn't make sense. I don't work 16, 18 hours a day along with our, the rest of our guys on our team to, uh, you know, to, to, to somehow do something that impacts me negative. We're going to do it at the right time, which we feel is now, and, uh, you know, we're taking those steps. So we're looking to aggressively move forward. And, you know, look, if it's, if it's uh, you know, third quarter, fourth quarter, great. Uh, there's things that are outside of our control when it comes to that, but we're going to do the things that we need to do on our side of the fence to get there this year. Well, let's stay on this topic then. Let's talk a little bit more about corporate moves. Here's the question. Surge recently announced canceling 2.4 million shares and removing 4 million in debt. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and the impact it has on the company? Yeah, this was a, hey, that was a really exciting move for us. We worked really hard on that. The, the 4 million in debt was what came from the acquisition of ECS. You know, we bought ECS for $5 million in stock. Um, and, well, excuse me, $5 million. So there was a $4 million promissory note on our books. Well, the negative impact on our balance sheet was a negative $4 million to shareholders' equity. Obviously, that was a big hurdle to getting to NASDAQ. To get to NASDAQ, we need to have $5 million to the positive. Well, this one thing right here was $4 million to the negative. That, that's a challenge. So by converting that to stock, at an above market, I mean, we converted it at 50 cents a share. So we, we got a premium 
on the conversion, and we were able to take $4 million in debt, wipe it off our balance sheet. Uh, so that was a really, really big deal for us. Uh, we're very happy we were able to, um, to do that. And um, to, to be blunt with you, that was a big, you know, you've got, you've got a little internal checklist. That was one of the big checks. And that was something that we needed to take care of that was a little bit out of our control because obviously there was an agreement with the other side, uh, came to an agreement. So now it's back to the things that we can focus on internally moving forward. So that's another reason why, hey, man, I shifted gears. You know, I, I learned how to drive on an old Ford truck. So I use shifting gears a lot because I, I had one that, and it missed third gear. So, you know, I, I'm very well, very well versed on how to, how to drive a stick shift. And that allowed us to shift gears and hit the gas. All right, let's, well, change once again. Do you pay attention to the various stock message boards? Some of these seem slanderous towards you and the company. What are your thoughts, and is there anything that you can do about it? Stuart, when I first, uh, I guess, was, was became the CEO of the public company three years ago, I, I, I would check into these things, and I thought that, you know, I had this... Um, puritanical approach that if I did what we needed to do and told people what we were doing that everybody would love and they would, they would understand. And, you know, I, I got hit in the face with a bat pretty hard, uh, to be honest with you. I mean, it, it was, it was, you know, I used to, to read those years ago and I would, I would sit there and look at things that were absolutely not true about our company, completely, uh, you know, just lies about me or people on our team. And I'd get, I'd get angry about it. And, once I fully understood the, the dynamic here of, you know, look, there's people out there, uh, you know, and even these message boards. A lot of these message boards are based in servers overseas. They're not regulated. Um, it's like the National Enquirer in the grocery aisle. Um, you know, there's people out there. Why they, why they say the things they do, I, I don't know. I, I don't care. I haven't looked at it in years. Uh, you know, I have people that will ask me things randomly every now and then based on something that they read. But... Uh, whether whether it's people that are being paid to bash a stock because they, there's people shorting the stock or people are intentionally just saying crazy stuff to try to create fear so someone dumps stock and they pick it up cheaper and then just sell it on the way back up. Because, you know, one of the unique things that I've learned about Surge, how we're differentiated a little bit from a normal OTC company, people know that we're fully committed to doing what we say we're going to do. We're not just hyping or pumping a company get a little money out of it and then move to the next thing like a locust. Uh, you know, we're, we're actually committed to doing what we say we're going to do. And they know that we're not going to allow something to stay low so that they can bang the stock down, buy some cheap stock. I mean, look, they make a little money. It is what it is. But as far as those actual message boards go, look, I mean, I, I asked the question two years ago, is there a way to fight? Is there a way to assume they're just saying blatant stuff that's not true? Uh, and I was told, no, nah, don't worry about it. it. Worry about growing your company, doing what you need to do. Uh, and furthermore, you know, there's moderators in these, most of these message boards. And, you know, I'm fair game. You can say whatever you want to about the CEO or the company. So they could, they could, you know, say I'm an alien and, and it's, there's no fact check. There's no, there's no, uh, there's, there's no follow up or anything like that on that. So they can say whatever they want to about me or the company. And at the end of the day, you know, I've had people ask me because they get pissed off because they're they're big fans of us or they know what we're doing. Some of our key team members and just tell them, look, don't don't respond to these guys. The worst thing you can do is respond because now you've engaged and you create the analytics where it shows that message board is 
has a higher propensity to be something someone will be looking for if they're looking for surge stock. So the best thing people could do is not buy the National Enquirer in the aisle. Guess what? It's not it's not on the aisle anymore. It's not in the checkout anymore. The same with these things. I mean, I, I again, it, it is a little bit of a head scratcher, but no, man, I, I'm I'm more focused on on what we're doing as a company. And and hey, you know what, Stuart? Now that I think about it, hey, look, we have VP level people in our company that have no idea the LOIs, the, uh, the some of the mergers and acquisitions. Some of the things we're doing that are on my desk or Anthony Nuzzo's desk or Tony Evers' desk or Carter Matthews, they have no idea. Many of our people in our own team at the VP operational level find out about deals or what we're doing when they're prepping the press release. We are a very tight-knit company that has organizational structure. There is no way that, uh, you know, I think people... Sometimes when they see a stock fluctuate, they, they think there's something out there that they don't know about. Somebody knows something I don't know. So there's a little there's a moment in time where you can create panic and fear by feeding them something. That's why a lot of that garbage on TV exists as well. Well, look, I can assure you, there, if, if it's not, if you go to our website and it's not on there, you go to our social media and it's not on there, I can assure you, it, whatever you're reading, it's not factual. Uh, we don't leak information. We're a very professional uh, organization. And, you know, <laughs> so the, the the best thing that I could say as far as is there anything we can do? Not really. No. I mean, it's the same people that do the same thing to a lot of other companies. Um, we don't get caught up in it. Um, you know, I, I would just look at it as, you know, if, if there's dips, those are opportunities like I do in my own personal portfolio with other stocks. If there's dips, that's opportunities to buy. Just because somebody buys or sells something in the market, it normally is not related um, to anything going on in the company when you're on the OTC. Now, at the next level, hey, I'm looking forward to being on NASDAQ and having our share price more represented by what we do, the critique of what we do. Did we execute? Hey, put the scoreboard up and turn the lights on. That I, I want to be valued based on our ability to perform and execute. So that's another reason why, you know, when people ask me, why do you want to get to NASDAQ so quick? Like, you know, we want to get there where we're being properly evaluated and as a company with our market cap and, and the sectors we're in and the valuations, you know, the, the hard work and energy and the ability to execute is more better represented in the shareholder value. Okay, well, let's get some clarity now. The next question says this. Please provide some clarity as to the big picture for Surge. In a nutshell, how would I be able to give an elevator pitch to someone I'm meeting for the first time? The elevator pitch is tough for a holding company. Uh, obviously, it's a holding company. But, you know, <laughs> the way that I would approach it, I would, this will be a short, quick answer since we, you asked about the uh, the elevator pitch. Say, hey, look, Surge Holdings got a great management team. It's got a history of, of executing. They've got three channels, three divisions of their company, media, telecom, and fintech. The fintech division that serve, provides products and services a platform to the underbanked. This is the this tip of the spear, the flagship they're moving forward as they march to NASDAQ. And in this day and age, we feel like this is a great opportunity. I mean, that, that would be my, my flag. And, and speaking of that, just the management team alone has done over $1.2 billion in sales uh, in their own, in, in the private companies before taking their companies public under the surge holdings banner. So that would be my, um, my and, and you know, look, the more that I'm out there, 
And the more, look, I've actually gained a lot of wisdom over the last three years. I look at things completely different than what I did uh, when I was just buying stocks. You know, there's so many things that go on in a public company that I had no idea about. And I, I never truly valued the, the team as much as I do now. And now I see how important it is uh, for the CFO, the president, the CEO, the, the, the VP level, the operations. Do they have the ability to scale? All the things that we've built, um, you know, I think we answer those questions. And we did take the long route to do things right so that we would prepare ourselves to be able to grow properly and, hey, quickly if need be. With the operations center, I mean, we can scale quickly without ever hitting a plateau. All right. Well, I saved this for the last question since it talks about the outlook. What is the outlook for the balance of 2020? What can we expect next in terms of any acquisitions or direction for Surge? Always a loaded question looking forward. Uh, but uh, so I, I don't I'll answer it. Just I mean, you know me, Stuart. Hopefully by now you spend enough time with me. and know I'm, I'm a pretty straight shooter. Uh, just kind of go from the hip here. What I'm looking forward to is the the pop from that bent-up frustration that we referenced. I think it was in your first question, whether it be on the media side, whether it be salespeople that are hustling to achieve their overall years, uh, you know, their same net pay. Um, they're, people are looking. It's just it's a, it's a really hot time right now for products. Everybody's looking for something to get that edge up. Where where it's like we're on, it's like the market. And I don't mean the stock market, but the the, the market in general. The out, it's just, it's uncomfortable. People want to move. They want to go. They want to they want to sell. They want to they want to gain ground. So we're since we're I look at my core. I'm a sales guy, and that's how I got my start 20 years ago. So I, I'm in in sales guys. It's product timing opportunity. Well, we've got all three right now. So. I'm really excited about the third quarter. I'm excited to see. I mean, you show me a product like Local Rabbit, where I know that at 30,000 subscribers, we're basically the profit from just 30,000 subscribers, what it does to the company. And the fact that even in my own private companies, we used to activate 30,000 subscribers a month. I mean, when I look at numbers like that, when I look at the numbers, when Carter Matzinger and I uh, huddle up and he shows me what he's expecting and anticipating for the third quarter, and beyond, and I know the profit margins of Surge Logics. That's super exciting. When I see, when I have chains that are national chains and these huge distribution companies reaching out to us for information on Local Rabbit, you know. Now keep in mind, if you're a huge distribution company, bringing the software platform may not make sense because you're really bringing in a competitor. But the actual product, Local Rabbit, that they can use to offer. Uh, there are 30, 40, 50,000 stores that they're providing products to. That's a huge, huge deal for us. Now we've got, you know, instead of hundreds of salespeople, thousands of salespeople. And then, look, we're, we're evaluating um, acquisitions. Absolutely. We're debating whether to do an acquisition at the time of uplift. Does it make sense just to go and then, uh, you know, start acquiring after? But, yeah, I mean, those, those are things we're going to do. So I, I'm not going to look at it, say, from a 2020 standpoint as much as I am a Q3. Normally, I do look down the road six to nine months, but where we are right now, I've, I've taken my, let's say I've put my binoculars down and I've put my ball cap on, rolled my sleeves up and jumped in uh, with some of the divisions here because I have done this before. Our team has done this before, and I'm able to provide leadership on the battlefield as opposed to, you know, back on a hill somewhere. Um, so, and look, Bully, I like to fight. 
I, I, I love the fact that we can jump in and there's no excuses. If we, if we fail, it's because we didn't execute. And I've got a team that doesn't fail uh, and a team that does execute. Um, I'm excited about having Tony Evers, our new CFO, on. Um, this week we're naming Tony the COO of the company. This will allow our president, it will free him up a little bit more to help me on some of the forward-thinking, forward-pushing ideas and growth modeling that we're going to be doing. Um, So very, very excited. Very, uh, you know, I wish I had a crystal ball. I don't want to fast-forward time because I'm old enough now to know how precious time is. But I do wish I had a crystal ball to see where we are in six months. Um, You know, and I'm going to do everything in my power to get us to where I want us to be in six months. How about that? That sounds good to me, Brian. And I, as I mentioned, that was our final question. I want to thank you for taking the time to respond to all of these questions. Thanks, Brian. Hey, Stuart. I enjoyed it and look forward to next time. All right. For Brian Cox, the CEO for Surge Holdings, this is Stuart Smith saying thanks so much for listening.